Welcome to Behind the Movement. I am Kyle Fincham. Thank you so much for listening, however you're doing it. Um, I've got an amazing conversation that I had with Cameron Shane to share with you today. I'm really excited about it. Before I get to it, though, just a couple of announcements. The first is that I'm teaching two special online classes coming up. Uh, the first one is for my friends at the Spirit Loft up in Toronto. Uh, Catalina and Andre, who are the owners, uh, invited me to be a part of their Our Next Guest series, where they have teachers from outside of their school um, teaching online classes for their community and then anyone else that wants to participate. Um, so yeah, I will be doing that next Thursday, February 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. It's a 75 minute class, it's 20 bucks, it's open to everybody and you can register at spiritloft.com under their events page. Then a little further down the road, I will also be teaching a special class for our Breath Collective Kimberly Ann Johnson, who was on the podcast last week, um, uh, she's a member of our Breath Collective and, and helped organize the event. Um, so I'm super grateful for that. That is going to be on Sunday, March 7th, also at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, also a 75-minute class, also 20 bucks, also open to everybody, and you can register at ourbreathcollective.com. There's also an events page there. And I know I say it every week, but I just want to keep uh, reminding people if you're interested in um, the things that I'm, I'm saying, doing, and putting out there, uh, you can always sign up for Movement Brooklyn Online. I teach a weekly class on top of uh, a bunch of pre-recorded classes and content. Um, there's conversations, we're sharing books, we're sharing ideas. Um, we have a monthly focus for the month of February. We're focusing on upper body gymnastics. So, you know, we're, we're, we're learning chin-ups and dips, muscle-ups, planches and front levers, um, and then other gymnastic skills along the way. So if that's uh, something you're into, if you want to be a part of that, you can go to members.com movementbrooklyn.com. Cool. That's everything. Let's get to the podcast. Uh, I'm really happy that I got to have this conversation with Cameron. Super interesting. Um, he's a social philosopher, educator, fighter, yogi, satirist, artist, writer, and he is the founder of the Budokan uh, yoga style and the Budokan mixed movement arts system. Um, yeah, I really can't say enough good things about this conversation. It was the first time we chatted, and I, I, I don't know. When we were done, I was already looking forward to the next one and, and heading out to Montana to sit around a fire and uh, philosophize about uh, everything else. So I think you'll enjoy it too. So here it is my conversation with. Cameron Shane. Hello, Kyle. What's up? Good to see you. Good to see you, sir. How's everything? Everything is everything is well on my end. How's everything over there? Good. Sorry that took a moment. Um, I have uh, a couple different devices, and one 
I was trying to do that on my phone and then I switched to my computer. And so I was, I was just bouncing around. So apologies for my, for my lack of technical, technical savvy. Hey, it's totally understandable. It's a whole new world here. I just happen to have had to use it enough here that I uh, haven't figured out, but it's, it's all strange sometimes. Yeah. And then I have, I have a guy who's my, my right-hand man who basically runs all my tech stuff. So he knows how to do everything and I don't know how to do anything. And then I end up being like, Kimba, come help me. So um, pretty much that's <laughs> pretty much how it goes. Yeah. You like run yeah. out on the, right out of the porch and start yelling. Yeah. But that's, that's a, that's a pretty accurate. Let me actually do this. Let me put this computer on this little table so it doesn't move for us. Cool. Then we'll have a, we'll have a nice consistent filming. Uh, there we go. Oh, and it's uh, it's very picturesque too. I feel like you got snow that back there behind you and a fireplace to your oh, side. I feel like, yeah, this is like. True. Yep, and ski goggles, uh, snowboarding goggles. There you go, I can wear those for the, for the podcast. <laughs> That really probably makes all the that really brings things to light. Yeah, I feel like it's like I'm I'm ready for some some really absurd some, like outdoor storytelling. Center some serious winter sports. That's what we do around here. Man, I skied for the first time in 18 years yesterday. And uh, okay, for the first you haven't skied in 18 years. In 18 years, I grew up in Lake Tahoe. I worked like ski patrol, and I was a ski instructor. And then yesterday was oh. the first time in 18 years that I went skiing, and it was uh, it it was kind of beautiful. I feel like I, I could have cried at certain moments. It was it's amazing. Yeah. Like, what 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 took you so long to come back to the to the to well, the sport? I lived in New York for 15 years and New York is just not one of those places where, uh, you know, the ski bums kind of settle into. Yeah, true. And then, I mean, I think you have to go to, you have to go to uh, Stratton mountain probably is your closest legitimate mountain to, yeah. to from New York. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to go up into Canada as well, I believe. Yeah. You go to Montreal. There's some... Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, when you grew up, it's like you had it, it was so convenient. My ski mountain was like five minutes away from my house. I could have walked there. Right. And then the idea of like getting it all together and having to go somewhere where it's like a icy mediocre slope when you've been in like Sierra Nevada mountains, it was like, you know, it's, a, it's an arrogance thing is really what it is. Well, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, there's a certain practical sense to it. It's like understanding. I mean, if you understand the terrain, there's, certain you know there's a certain preference based on experience and that's how we make good decisions right or bad or bad ones yeah yeah we know better and yet we act in contradiction to what we what we know and you yeah. end up on some some icy mountain and you're like this isn't even fun i'm not even enjoying this so right. <clears throat> so i think yeah where did you end up going so we are in Boulder, Colorado right now. So we went to this little spot called Eldora, which is like a local mountain here. But my wife and I are doing a week in, in Beaver Creek next week. So it was like, oh, well, we've got the skis and there's this local mountain. We should get a couple turns in before we go do the big mountain. Yeah, that's actually where I, I learned to snowboard 
in Colorado, dated a girl. She was from Denver. She was a snowboarder and took me up. Uh, and that's basically where I learned to ride. <clears throat> so I, I, I think I got lucky as well. Mm -hmm. I feel privileged and blessed to have gotten to learn in that condition, which was uh, Vail and the Vail Aspen, you know, um, combo. And uh, then I, I traveled in Europe, got to ride a bit there. Austria, another beautiful place to ride. Um, and then I, I, I did get to ride Stratton Mountain once, which I actually went there and, and we got hit with a snowstorm. So I actually got really good riding the time I went there. Um, so I, I got lucky a lot, I think, with, with weather conditions. And then I chose uh, Whitefish to move to based on the mountain itself. It, we get really great snow here uh, in Montana because of the climate. And so I, I've, you know, I've, I've been pretty, I've been pretty lucky, you know, I think. So I feel, I feel like you, I feel really grateful to get to ride and to get to be in this environment. My wife's in Miami right now. She likes to leave about every three months to get back to the heat and the sun. But I actually really love the snow and, 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 getting, and being on the mountain uh, more than I do. The beach for me is nice. <clears throat> and it's, it's, you know, it's an, it's an, it's always a joy to be standing in the sand, staring at the ocean. It's, it's, it's a, it's a privilege in itself, but looking, you know, the mountains are their own unique and special experience for a human being to, to see the vastness and in sort of your, 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 uh, proximity to that and how small we actually are uh, is, is a really, you know, it's really special. I think the ocean can do that to you too. It can make you feel very small as well and, and help you understand the, the, the you know, how, how irrelevant we are. Um, so I do appreciate any, any part, any landscape that <clears throat> is just, you know, far, far bigger than what humans can sort of tame you know, it's, it's hard to tame uh, an entire mountain range. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to tame the ocean. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I think that's something I've rediscovered after being in New York for 15 years. And, you know, I don't know how much time you've spent in New York City, but when you're in New York, it's just like you're basically just surrounded by man-made things everywhere. There's nothing natural about it. Yeah. And then to suddenly be here and be outside practicing. And I think, you know, if, if you were in, in Colorado for some amount of time, like, it's like 320 days of sun. So it's winter time and it's 30 degrees, but you can be outside and you can be in shorts and a t-shirt and I can be outside practicing in a park. And I'm like looking at the flat irons as opposed to like, you know, looking out my window and seeing another building five feet away from my window. It's um, yeah. the, the, the juxtaposition, like you said, just like really, I don't know, be, being a part of that vastness kind of changes the whole experience. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's 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 important for human. I think for the human consciousness to be um, aware of our insignificance 
and of our, um, our, our, just our irrelevance to, to nature, to the earth in general. Uh, one of my favorite, you know, sort of mantras is, you know, I really, you know, I don't matter. <clears throat> I'm not, I don't matter. I'm not important. I don't make a difference on the planet other than, other than just sort of, you know, creating more distress for it. But humans are the, probably the only animal that could disappear off the place of the, off the face of the planet and literally not impact the ecosystem in any negative way at all. We do nothing. We literally do nothing to help uh, the process of nature, like say a bee does for pollination or the birds do for carrying seeds of, of plants and trees. I mean, we literally do nothing yeah. except for feed off of that system. So we're, <clears throat> it's very important to remember how irrelevant we are. And it, most people have the opposite uh, feeling, uh, which is that we very much matter, that we're very relevant, that we, uh, that we are the masters of, you know, of the earth and all that roam upon it. <laughs> and that this is our, you know, ours to, to basically somehow manage and, and uh, do with as we please. And this distortion of reality has clearly created uh, a disconnect with us and an overpopulation because that mentality has also driven us to be overpopulated as well. We no longer see ourselves as part of an ecosystem, part of a natural uh, flow, but rather we see ourselves as outside of it, observing it, manipulating it, adjusting it. And, and so, but, but who's adjusting us? Who's, you know, who's culling this herd? No one. You know? Right. Yeah, I, I've thought a lot about this because I've, I've picked up a few books recently on indigenous culture and 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 uh, there's been a lot of talk about like what reciprocity looked like in those cultures and, and looks like in those cultures that still exist today and the role that humans would play in in participating and and like you said we just we just take and have given ourselves this illusion of control right where we like uh, somehow we think that in a few hundred years or a few thousand years of you know being smart, studying things, that we have mastered billions of years of like evolutionary tinkering that has gone on. Mm, yeah, yep, so true, so true. And and <clears throat> one could argue that we're certainly. Um, we have, we have unique insight. It's unfortunate that we're, we're not compelled collectively to use that insight to understand the world around us. We would rather use that insight to adjust and affect and manipulate the world around us. You know, then that's the difference, I think, in the position. You're either curious about how you 
how you feel about the world around you, or you're just curious about the world around you. The difference between those two positions is it can be subtle to the point of unrecognizable. But if you look closely and carefully, you'll see that there's a, a very <clears throat> important distinction there. We can't understand anything about ourselves without understanding how we relate to things, not, not those things themselves. And we're obsessed with understanding those things rather than how we relate to those things. So the study of man currently isn't the study of, of how we relate, meaning how do I feel about this object? How do, how do, I, how do I better understand my reaction to the object, my response to the object? I would rather just simply become obsessed with the object itself. Right. And that's sort of the, the, the trap is, is the, the, it's the celebration or the, uh, <clears throat> the right term I feel would be um, almost religiosity. We've become almost religious about objects. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> They've become far more interesting to us than who we are in relation to them. Right. And it's almost like perhaps it, when we look at them in isolation this way and we don't understand our involvement with whatever the object or the thing or the creature or the plant or the whatever is, we don't have the same respect for it. And it almost as though like we're willing to try to control it or defeat it or win something when we don't see ourselves in it. Yeah, and, and, and we do the same thing with movement. You know, it, it's not something that's really limited to uh, physical objects. It's also limited to concepts, uh, you know, movement, sports, any type of human endeavor is, is conceptual. And we can also become uh, enamored with, you know, it, it's, it's a bit like a prize fighter who becomes enamored with the prize mm -hmm. and loses focus on the why. Why do I fight? What, what do I learn from it? And isn't that really the takeaway? Isn't that really the gym? Isn't that the pearl? Right. It's not the prize, but now we're, we're very, and, and so in movement, it would be the trick it would be the, the ability to, you know, do the next cool thing, uh, to do something, to, to achieve <clears throat> some new um, feat of strength that becomes an obsession rather than what we're developing as human beings in the process of learning something. So it's, it's the, you know, it's, it's obviously we're back to the, the old statement the process is more important than the product. It's, it's not relevant. You know, humans are, humans are a process, but we like to treat each other as a product. We're expected to behave in a way that's 
complete and finished and, and polished and predictable when really we're in constant process. So there's, there's no way to really, you know, uh, confine us or contain us to some type of expectation, which we then do uh, apply to one, one another all the time. We're constantly expecting humans to be uh, complete and finished. And we don't hold space for people to be in process. We don't celebrate process because again, we're obsessed with completion. We're obsessed with the finished product. We're obsessed with the idea of something being uh, perfect. And, it, you know. And, and, and processes it, it embraces failure. And it's like, we almost have like a bit of a society that like has stigmatized failure a little bit. And, and failure is like, that is part of the crux of like a, a, a process. And I'm happy you said we're talking about kind of like skills or techniques because I feel like I see that a lot. And again, maybe that's like a very, I don't know, North American or Western or American thing where people almost identify movement as collecting movements as opposed to movement, you know, kind of like the mechanical approach of like, I've got a, an, an erector set and I just want to keep adding pieces to it by collecting new pieces as mm -hmm. opposed to looking at it like, it's more organic and it's more alive and it learns by tinkering and it learns by randomness and it learns by kind of bumping into things and then taking different routes and, and playfulness and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's a good analogy. If you take say a Lego set and you just, you keep stacking uh, pieces on top of one another, you may inevitably build this elaborate, in complex structure, but if it falls over, if it gets pushed, pulled, if it gets thrown, if it falls, it, it breaks apart. And then you may take another uh, model, which would be, you know, same concept of Legos, but stacked conservatively together, creating something so much smaller and more simple in a way uh, it, you could throw it across the room and it, <laughs> it remains intact. And I think that that's the idea of, I'm just going to keep stacking new tricks and new, you know, new, this is in that's, and, and I'm going to keep collecting uh, like a circus performer, uh, which is basically how I view a lot of the movement, you know, teachers, <clears throat> that exist, there's no, there's no commitment or loyalty to, to mastery and to even the concept of specialization. You know, I've heard so many people over the course of time, uh, you know, referencing uh, specialization as some type of, um, you know, fool's errand or error or or uh, mistake in and of itself on the as a, as a on the path of 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 becoming a, a great mover quote unquote athlete and i think that that's so ironic considering that all the things that we learn that are 
deep and profound and foundational come from specialists. Mm-hmm. They don't come from generalists because generalists don't go deep enough to discover those things. Mm-hmm. So the, the specialist in and of itself is the master. And to even be critical of that concept uh, is how we've gotten to where we are today, in my opinion, in the world of movement, is we've got a bunch of people who aren't really committed to mastery. They're committed to trickery, to disposability, the next cool thing, whatever may be interesting for Instagram, whatever may be the next fun trick. But at the end of the day, when it really when it really comes down to foundational, functional athleticism, the ability to be a durable, complete athlete, uh, I find very few people in the world of movement embody that or those qualities simply because they're too busy playing with tricks and toys to actually understand how to go deep and layer, you know, peeling layers away until you understand. Like for me, what really defines a complete athlete is the ability to transition between myself, between any, any movement language and immediately adjust like, like a, and I say this in a very sort of cheeky, playful way, but like some type of um, cyborg, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where you, you, your body is, you're, you're so skillful at understanding subtleties of movement and adjustment that it doesn't matter if you're playing golf or you're doing jujitsu, you can, you can calibrate the body, the proprioception, everything to achieve the goal. And that's from, that's from mastering things that most people don't want to master because the deeper layers of complex movement are underneath the superficial trickery. They're in places that people don't want to go. A mm-hmm. uh, perfect example is in jujitsu. It's very common to play the top because being on top is the passing position. You're free. You can smash. You can lean. You can grind. You know, you have, you, you have all of your body weight moving down so that there's, there's less effort. And if you're on bottom, you're constantly recovering space. You're constantly uh, reframing, rebuilding things that are being torn down. So there's so much more effort on the bottom. Most people don't want to play the bottom or don't want to become masterful at the bottom. They would just rather figure out how to get to the top quickly and then work from there. But the people who really become masterful at the bottom inevitably become masterful at the top because they understand what it takes to get through the bottom. And there's a durability that's built and a sustainability that is developed 
in, in these sort of dark places, the, the crevices, the, 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 the no man's land, places no one wants to be. Yeah. You're, you're making me think about so many things right now. The first one is I watched this video not too long ago of a little, a piece of a lecture that Yosef Frusek from Fighting Monkey was doing. And he was talking about um, how the, the, the most valuable things that we can be doing does, don't get likes on Instagram, unfortunately. You know, the stuff that gets likes is not the, the high value stuff. Um, it's, not, it's not, yeah, it's not visually interesting probably. Yeah. And then the other one, and, and I feel like you're really kind of hitting the nail on the head with this one. So I got to take a lot of classes at Marcello's in New York City with Paul Schreiner. And I had him on the podcast a few months ago. And I'm not going to get the wording exactly right, but he said something like the techniques aren't jujitsu. The art of jujitsu is everything that happens in between the techniques. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a little bit of what you're talking about. It's like, it's all that, it's that, it's that intelligence, that thing that we can't put all the words to that just comes from like constantly being in new positions and new stresses and new environments that ask more of us. And then the techniques are like, oh, cool. We can like flavor it a little bit. Yeah. There's so many moments that occur. Combat is incredibly unique uh and each in each type of combat is is unique in and of itself grappling is not striking and striking striking is not <clears throat> is not judo it's not throwing i mean er, er, you know different ranges require different skill sets and and there's something deep and profound within each range that you fight within and it's, you know, it's, it's humbling. I've been a martial artist since I was 12. So for me, I've, and I, and I started in, in striking stand-up traditional Olympic style Taekwondo. And then I achieved my black belts in that and moved into karate and achieved black belts in that and then moved into jujitsu. So I started in very stand-up practical, traditional striking styles and I moved into, you know, grappling and judo and, and inevitably into MMA and, and, and wrestling, which, which, you know, sort of just in, in Muay Thai, which, you know, if you're going to be in that world, you have to sort of speak the language uh, in the, in, you know, there's gotta be some, some new language adjustments you have to make. Um, but each place provides you with new information and it's crucial it's crucial to understand that there's there's a there's just things that you know that you know and there's things you know you don't know and then there's that which you don't know you don't know and i think that martial arts is incredible at at revealing what you don't know you don't know and at what you know you know because if you know if you know what you know is working you know it's it's evident and then there are moments in martial arts where you literally just don't have an answer you don't know what you don't know you're it's unfamiliar 
you've never been there. And jujitsu is, is, is very much, uh, you know, for humans, it's very much that game of getting answers to things you didn't even know you needed answers to being placed in positions where you have to understand the body. Uh, and as you said, Paul was referring to as not a combat situation, but a situation of engineering of leverage. This has nothing to do with a person. This could be an object on me right now. How do I, you know, align myself to have leverage against this object. And, and then of course the object's also readjusting itself as well, taking away my, my reestablished structure and leverage. So it, it's, it's a very important, it takes, you know, I'm, I'm, I have four stripes I'm, I'm on my brown belt. I'm at the, I'm, I'm right at the edge of my black belt in jujitsu and it's, I started in 2003 under Hicks and Gracie. It's been, and I've taken a long time. I mean, a black belt in jujitsu is common. It's a common 10 year journey. I'm in 2003, I'm, I'm almost at 20 years, uh, you know, because my, my lifestyle, my craft, I've been so busy teaching that I, I have, you know, I have not been able to, maintain that consistency with um, always being present at class. So I've had to practice here and work there, but um, it's been the most important craft in my toolbox because at the end of the day, it, it, it places us in a position that striking simply doesn't striking striking doesn't corner you. I mean, of course you can get knocked out, but jujitsu is such a fascinating experience because there is an inevitable checkmate that can occur. And in, in striking, it's not, Checkmate would be a knockout in striking, but it can be difficult to actually knock someone out if they just cover up and, and, and defend enough. They could even lay on the floor and be, put themselves into a ball and you would have trouble knock. You could beat the shit out of them. Don't get me wrong, but you'd have trouble knocking them out. If you protect the head enough, if you do enough, you can stay conscious even through a beating. <laughs> right. Do you know what I'm saying? But in jujitsu, it's one of the few things that you literally reach a point where you reach a checkmate, where there's an inevitability of finish, of, of complete death. <laughs> you can truly choke someone to death. It's it's very unusual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> something, something that brings up a lot for you. Like, wh why does why is jujitsu so unique? Why does it teach so many lessons? Why is it such an interesting? And e let's not even call it jujitsu. You can call it submission wrestling. It, it doesn't matter. The concept is humans, you know, in combat, 
in this particular way they come, they, they, they enact that where they finish the other human by choking them to death. (laughs) Right. And it's also like on the, on the other side to be in that, that, that losing position, it's a different kind of humbling experience to in a moment, admit defeat and, and tap, right? Unless you go to sleep or unless, you know, you, you, you give up on a joint, but that's a whole nother layer of uh, humility that's kind of educated in there. Yeah, it's powerful. It's, it's powerful to learn how to not be attached mm-hmm. to, and that's, that's the real takeaway is how tapping, and Hickson always said this, he said, I, you know, you should tap 10 times around because if you're truly playing the game correctly, if you're rolling with the right attitude, then you're taking risks. Mm -hmm. You're trying to learn what you didn't know you didn't know. And that puts you in bad positions. And so getting tapped is simply part of, as you would say earlier, the mistake making process. I can't make a mistake without going somewhere that I've never been. Right. Well, it's, it's willing to, to practice. And I, this, I mean, I would say this for jujitsu and then movement and everything, but it's willing to, to do it playfully. Right. You know, if we, if we approach it in a playful way, like, I mean, we can play aggressively, we can play seriously, but when we play, when we play, we do it, um, with the willingness to take risks and the willingness to, to put ourselves in vulnerable positions so that we can learn things a little more like, you know, the two dogs playing out in the field, whether it's chasing a ball together or really they're doing their version of grappling. And then one of them kind of submits and then they jump back up and start playing again. It's like that, that exchange of information as opposed to being like, well, I'm not going to approach this in a playful way. I'm going to approach this in a controlling way or in a dominant way, or an I need to win way. And that's where you're going to, or at least I find that's when someone stays kind of addicted to competence and just plays their game. And I understand the idea of playing your game in a truly competitive setting, but in like a training setting or in a practice setting, I'm, I see more value in, in the playful approach. Yeah, I, would, I can agree with that. Um, it's crucial to as you said, not become addicted to uh, always being competent. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's an important, an important statement. Play, and, and here's the, the, the other side of this, play, like, like anything, Play can become an Achilles heel for a martial artist as well if they don't know how to flip the switch and make that adjustment. So it's this really fine line that you have to you have to move between because I have personally I have a more playful nature with martial arts and in general, I'm, I'm more, more, uh, more interested in um, 
the game. And my teachers, I have two teachers that are very different. Lovato, uh, Rafael Lovato Jr. And then Shanji Hibero, who are both uh, legendary world champions in jiu-jitsu, but approach the game quite differently. Um, Rafael is not playful. He's, he's very competitive and he's, and he's all about, you know, conscious competence, <laughs> unconscious competence, just, you know, com competence, competition, you know, com you know, getting the job done. Shanji's more playful, more willing to allow for, uh, there to be, uh, to allowing, he will allow himself to be put in bad positions just to, just to let you think you're getting somewhere just so he can escape and play and, 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 and have fun for his own practice. Raphael will rarely ever let you put him in a negative position uh, just because he would not want to even build the habit of allowing that. Right. So being sort of trained by both who are also brothers in the sport. They grew up together under Salo Hibera, his older brother. They're both, you know, they're, they're, they're all world champions. And in matter of fact, Flow Grappling recently came out with the top American grappler in the history of grappling and Rafael Lovato was number one. So just to give you context of how, you know, serious he takes himself in that way, it's because other people take him that seriously as well. And Chanji's a seven-time world champion and one of the few people to ever even uh, beat Haja Gracie in, in, in gi competition. So he's, he's incredibly accomplished. But these guys approach the game quite differently, but they both get the job done with different mindsets. And I think you have to, you have to be able to uh, walk the, you know, this very fine line. And I think this is something that's interesting to me, why I'm even sort of expounding on this, um, on, the, on your statement ideas. I find, I find that the modern day movement world and the jujitsu world as well can be, uh, and I guess this is, could fall into to yoga and any other movement language, but um, specifically the movement world, since that's sort of what, um, you know, how you found me and how we even come to this conversation, I find it can be too playful mm. and it can be too, um, it, it, it can be too obsessed with the trickery and the playfulness of movement that to the point that there's, there's no real, there's no real check and balance system. There's no grounding in the fact that being able to do a handstand or a cartwheel is not going to save you from being eaten by a tiger kind of concept. So I, I think it's important if, if I had a message, you know, in my mind when I think sometimes I see this overt celebration of trickery and I think to myself, you know, that what good is movement 
if it doesn't have practical application. And, and for me, practical application is really comes down to survival. It comes down to my ability to exist on the planet sustainably, to dodge a car, to get out of the way of this, to get out of the way of that. Because at the end of the day, everything else has been done for us. You know, sidewalks have removed all real dangerous obstacles. There's nothing to traverse. Everything is, is basically, uh, has been, has been um, removed from our path so that we are as safe as possible. So what that leaves behind is humans inventing ways to be in danger. <laughs> so we, we create, you know what I mean? We create obstacles, uh, parkour. I'm gonna jump off this building and I'm gonna roll. You know, so we invent ways to, to, to feel that adrenaline and that, and that, you know, I'm running from a predator, you know, right. and, and I get it. And I really enjoy it. I love the play. All I'm suggesting is there's this very concerning trend where we, where we people move, go into the world of movement and they stop there. Mm. And they, they just sort of, they just, that's where they just sort of park the car and they're like, okay, I, I can do cartwheels. I can do handstands. I can, I can transition from here. I can transition. And I'm like, well, that's, that's fantastic. And, but you understand that, that that is fairly superficial in, in, in as, a, as a movement language. It, and it's not, I'm not being critical. So I want to just be, I want to be, want to just flush this out a little, unpack it just a bit further. I'm not being critical of learning that language, of being critical of thinking that that language is the complete language. It'd be like saying, you know, if, if all lang if, if all of, of Latin based languages, if, if, you know, French and Spanish and Portuguese, if, if in Italian, if they all came from Latin, then understanding Latin is, is, is like jujitsu to me. Combat is the Latin of language of movement. The, the, the first thing that a human does is learns to move in order to learn to evade being eaten or to learn to crawl towards food. We don't, we don't learn to move to walk to school. We don't learn to move to, you know what I mean? To go, to, to go across the floor to the, to the refrigerator, uh, to, uh, you know, play we learn to move to survive whether we are cognizant of this or not that's what nature has us moving for right. Us move, right so for us to ignore the warrior path the, the combat to, to sort of to, to to put that to the side somehow and say that that's that that's a choice rather than an obligation concerns me. It's not a, it's not a, it shouldn't be a choice to learn to be a warrior. It should be an obligation to learn. And movement is just a way of conditioning a warrior. Yoga is a way of conditioning a warrior.
uh, you know, CrossFit, weight, whatever you want to, whatever language, whatever concept that has been invented is just a way to teach you to be a combat athlete, which is a, which is just a fancy way of saying a fucking homo sapien, yeah. a complete, right? A homo sapien that can yeah. hunt and gather and kill and evade and to be fucking human. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because what you're talking about in my experience, especially entering into like the world of jujitsu, but then also kind of getting to other realms of movement. I mean, I'll backtrack a little bit. I, you know, I spent so much time working on certain skills, like whatever, like one arm handstand or something and realizing like at some point after like five years being like, I can stand on my hands and I can almost stand on one arm, but I move shitty on my feet. What's that about? Like, if I'm going to be like a warrior, if I'm going to be a hunter, if I'm going to dance around the fire with my tribe at the end of the night, like, what does that handstand matter? Like, if I'm going to protect, if I'm going to protect my family, if yeah. I'm going to protect myself, if I'm going to protect my wife yeah. from being armed, if I'm going to protect my children, it ain't going to be in a one hand, one arm handstand. Right, right. <laughs> I better be able to move on my feet really fucking well. Right, and even though. Mm-hmm you knowing how to do a one-arm handstand will contribute to you being a better warrior, no doubt. It, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely a skill set mm-hmm. that will come in handy yeah. in some moment. Yeah. But, but to our point, if you park the car there mm-hmm. and you say, all right, I'm getting out and this is it. <laughs> and, you, yeah. and, you know, and you throw the keys and you're like, all right, this is where we're going to, this is where we're going to end this journey. And I see it all the time in yoga too, because of course I have an education institute that educates movers mm-hmm. and yoga, yoga teachers and uh, mobility coaches and calisthenics coach and, and martial artists. So I get all these folks coming in and they often, you know, they park their car, you know, right there on that, on that uh, particular um, skill set. And they say, okay, this is, this is, I'm good. This is it. And I, I'm, and I, and I'm thinking you, you don't understand how much you don't know. You don't know right now. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be there. And again, you know, who am I to say what, you know, what, what we need to know or must know it's simply an argument I'm making. Mm-hmm. It's I'm not arguing the position from an, a place of absolute authority or absolute truth. It's just an opinion. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a perspective. But my opinion, my perspective is that to be a complete homo sapien, you have to develop the warrior in you as equal to the peacemaker. Mm-hmm. They're both relevant to the, to the complete expression of the homo sapien right and 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 and, 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 and to by the way the, the the evidence i have to back that up is that if we were in our natural habitat uh, and we were not sheltered from all of the dangers we have so skillfully sheltered ourselves from, we would have to be hunter-gatherers. 
it, it, it's not, it wouldn't even be, uh, you know, an option for us, but we've opted out through our intelligence, but at what cost? There's always a cost for opting out of the natural order of things. And we have, without a doubt, opted out of the natural order of things. And, and there's, that's something that is an absolute fact. That's not debatable. To say that humans are in flow and rhythm with nature would be an absurd statement. Yeah. I mean, the fact is like, you know, we're both sitting in places where it's snowing and, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm actually sitting here in shorts. That's like, it's right, outrageous. Exactly. But, and what you're describing too, makes me think so much, again, I'd like bring it back to martial arts, but I also think it's something that a quality that should exist in movement, but you feel it in martial arts is like, it asks so much more of your senses, right? In movement, it can be sanitized down and it doesn't ask as much of like, I don't know, all the different senses in our bodies. Whereas in martial arts, everything kind of turns on, right? Like my visual senses are really turned on, even senses of like, I don't know, like the, the, the way I'm feeling things in my whole body, everything is just really lit up as if we're hunting or as if we're, mm. you know, or it, being it, hunted. Or being hunted. <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah. you know, we sanitize these things down. But again, you're talking about being a homo sapien. You're like, well, that's when we were out there, those, all those things had to be on and we had to be able to whatever, throw a spear or something. And it's like, in martial arts, I feel that I'm like everything, other things start to turn on beyond just like, well, let me just focus on my palm and my body line or whatever, whatever it is. And in mm-hmm. those qualities, I'm like, they should exist not just in the martial arts setting. It's like in the movement setting, in the, in the, all the place where we're like, well, these are all parts of like that, that human experience. And again, you're, we're talking about kind of sanitizing it all down. So we're, our senses aren't, we don't ask so much of our senses anymore. You know. No, and, it's, and there's a beauty. Yeah, th- that's a that's a really clear way to you know to I think to 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 um, re to I like the, what what comes up for me is the term sanitize. I really like the way you're sort of repackaging that that idea. And it's it's something something about martial arts that is so equalizing the the equality that that just occurs from standing across from another human being, the color, race, creed, belief, <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing matters mm-hmm. in that moment other than all the things that are at the core of our consciousness, courage, fear, honesty, humility. Like like when you look at all the qualities that have to show up in martial arts, that are forced to the surface. They're just not the same as learning a handstand. Now, don't get me wrong, learning a handstand forces a certain amount of courage, discipline. There are qualities that must be present. But I think our, our argument here is that there, there, 
they're quite filtered and limited mm -hmm. compared to the overall experience of fighting for your life, you know, of, of this feeling that I think is so essential to make, to keeping humans honest. And, and when you figure, when you look at why humans have become so distracted by these different industries, whether it's the porn industry or the, or, uh, uh, you know, hyper-focused on, you know, using, uh, you know, I say drugs, but you know, because because I smoke herb. I mean, I eat mushrooms. I'm I'm talking about I'm talking about just the just using these things as a way to escape reality, mm -hmm. um, whether it's sex or partying or whatever. It's like the fact that we even need this stuff to feel. It's just not the case in martial arts. You you feel I feel so much. <laughs> I feel so you know so often from that experience that I don't I don't there's nothing missing I'm not nutrient deficient yeah from life yeah well I mean I makes it makes me think that like you know doing martial arts especially something like jujitsu is like in kind of the sanitized world the closest thing that it can feel like to being what it asks, what the world asks of like a lumberjack or of somebody who's out there hunting where you're like, where, where you have to feel your senses because in so many parts of our existence, like we get to almost turn our senses off. And then almost like you said, maybe it's almost like we have to flip and go to like extremes to try to feel something. That's why we do it. There's right. no doubt. We, we, because right. we no longer get to be fucking savage. Right. You know? And we, when you don't get to be a bit of your, uh, a bit of your, savage to feel that to feel your testosterone to feel your 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 uh, your breath and that 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 edge of 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 chaos contained and and controlled and somehow directed uh there's something that's that that you're, that's going to try to find itself somewhere yeah. And it finds itself in humans just being complete douchebags mm -hmm. on the planet. If every person was forced to be in a black belt, to be on a black belt path, if, if all people were, were required to be in that, I, I can't imagine the reduction in douchebaggery. <laughs> Yeah. And, 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 and Instagram is just this place where we're, we see people's douchebaggery in full view, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with neon lights and the whole thing. It's just like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, you know, I need to be seen. I need to be seen. And I hate the fucking thing, honestly, but I, 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 it's a business tool. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I recognize that. So I, I, I take it with a grain of salt. And, and there are moments that I think it's fun to connect and moments that it's fun to produce something and share it. So, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I can see both sides. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it ultimately has just provided a space 
for people to be, for mediocrity to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. It's a fucking platform that gives mediocrity the loudest voice in the room. Mm -hmm. Because there's no, you can't, you can see a person move on Instagram and in, in your mind, you're like, oh, some, somebody, some novice looks at that and goes, oh my God, that, that, that's who I want to learn from. They have no idea if this person could teach themselves out of a paper bag. Mm-hmm. They have no idea if this person has the ability to actually instruct, mm-hmm. to educate, right. to guide. They don't, they, just by watching someone do a trick, people can be lured into believing whether it's a handstand or there we have this beautiful back bend where there's a, Oh my God, this person must be a highly advanced yoga teacher because look at how bendy they are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, but, but this platform has given rise to the superficiality of, of what things look like. And, it, and, and, and in a way redirected people, diverted people's attention from depth they just you don't know how to you wouldn't know if you're if you found an amazing teacher or you found uh an acrobat a performer and there's a huge difference between performance and guiding a human being through their life well and then and then it also kind of continues to play to that thing where people think that they can just go and pay for something and they get it handed to them like, oh, this oh. person, this person can teach me soft acrobatics. Cool. I'm going to pay you and I'm going to guarantee that I like get this thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know, for me, like real teaching is being like, there's no guarantees. There's, I can, I can facilitate opportunities for you to learn, but I can't just teach you something. Right. Like I can create opportunities where things can be learned and, and, and you can absorb information. And then there's an onus on you to do stuff. But like, you can't just show up and me hand you or you hand me money. And then you're like, Oh, well, here's now you're at the top of Everest. Congratulations. Well, this is the, this is the, the mentality, another, another interesting development in human consciousness, which is customer consciousness. Everyone now sees themselves as a customer regard regardless of of the of the exchange and the or the conditions or the context and that's really concerning given the fact that it erodes the student teacher relationship mm. because it creates customer and service provider right and and that's not something that has ever been a problem it's never been that way. It's just a, it's a recent issue that people show up as customers rather than as students. So what they're, they don't know what they're not even getting because they don't even know what it's like to be a student because from the minute they hit school and I'm talking about grade school, I'm talking about parents walking into a fucking kindergarten class and demanding that their kid be taught something a certain way because that's a service they're getting provided rather than this is a teacher and that kid is a student and that kid needs to learn how to be a student of that teacher. But that's all getting lost. And as that further erodes, you're gonna notice we you're gonna notice an erosion 
of, of human consciousness and competence because being a student is how you become a great teacher. Being a student is how you become a great master of a craft. So as people become less skillful at studentship, they in turn will become less skillful at teaching and mastering of craft. So that's, that's really where we're headed slowly and steadily, you know, because again, people can buy, as you said, simply buy information. And that's what they want. And, and they want to be able to have things that have words attached to them, right? They want to like, they want to be able to go to the bar and be like, here is the thing that I learned. Here is, here's, it has a name, it has a definition. Here it is. Everybody take a look at it and like, let's celebrate it together. And, yeah. and that's the stuff you can be taught. And there's a difference between being like, I want to be taught something and I want to learn something. You know, as you said, it's like, if you're a student, you want to show up and you want to learn. If you're a customer, you show up and you want to be taught. Yeah. Right. And that's a very good distinction. Yes. And it's like, you know, you, you, the, the, the person who wants to learn, learns how to learn and they become better at learning. Right. And then they develop those like richer or at least a potential or willingness to learn the meta skills, right? Like creativity and curiosity and resourcefulness or, or these types of things that can, um, they're transferable into all parts of their life. Whereas it's almost like we want to, the customer wants it to be compartmentalized. Like, oh, well now I'm in movement world. I am here to be taught a makaku and a handstand and well, but it, right, but isn't this where, isn't this, we see this in the lack of loyalty. People don't feel that they need to be the student of a system or a lineage or a teacher for any period of time anymore, they can just get a little from this guy and a little from that gal and a little from this. And, and, and that's because, that, because again, it's a buffet of purchasable knowledge and information. <laughs> so you don't really need to study the craft under, uh, uh, um, under a, you know, a master craftsman because you can simply you know, gather bits and pieces and then, then, then you can sort of in some mosaic put together your own variation, which is what it's also about too. It's like, how quickly can I get to my own version so that I can, you know, make, a, you know, a, <clears throat> um, you know, Bob Jitsu, you know, Bob, <laughs> I mean, I need to quickly be able to monetize my, my, experience here my, my my gathering and then create you know my own uh brand and and that's you know for me because someone could say well you know you created budokan you know what's the difference and and to tell you the truth i was very hesitant to even want to create anything different uh i could have probably just become a jujitsu practitioner and, 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 and gone that route. But what happened for me was that I felt that there was, for me, I needed to practice yoga and combat 
and meditation, all these elements, I needed to practice them together as a singular integrated construct because that's how I could be authentic. It was, that was the true me. I, I, I'm not just a combat only oriented individual and I'm not just a peacemaker either. I have both, you know, I have both sides and I needed to express both sides. And so by doing so, that started to appeal to other people who felt the same way, but weren't really given permission to do that. You know, if you were a part of this school, you just had to be that way. You know, so Budokan became a place where people could, could find like their, like, this is me. This, this is more me than really than choosing a hard position over here or over there. I kind of want to do both. Yeah. I kind of need to, I kind of need to express myself. And so Budokan emerged from, from not from the, the intention to invent something, but rather from an, a, a very organic and authentic uh interest and gravitational pull that it created for the people who experienced it and said, oh man, I love jujitsu, but hey, I also love this. Oh, hey, and I also love that. And it just, because it's really a lifestyle practice and people are like, yeah, that's my lifestyle. I dig that. And so, you know, that that's my only argument as to why I even you know, went in the direction of innovating something um, because I never, I can't improve martial arts. I can't improve yoga. I can't improve acrobatics. I can't, I, 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 there's no improving those things. They're, they're already, you know, they're, they're years and years and years in the making. So I think that they can be they can be adjusted and played with, but the reality is, you, can you improve it? I, I don't know. It, it's more, you know, it's more what I've done is I've created an offering that appeals to a part of the population. And that, that population really didn't have a voice or a place to go and be, be uh, represented in a way. And right. so when I started teaching this, because, you know, Budokan is, you know, I mean, 2001. So we're, you know, it's 20 years old. It's two decades old. At this point, my practice is older than some of my students. You know, they, they, they haven't been around at that point. Because, <clears throat> you know, people say to me, oh, you look like Ido Portel. I'm like, Ido Portel was eating cereal watching, you know, cartoons when I started teaching. Like that, I'm not, Ido Portel, you mean looks like he's doing what I do. You know what, I always kind of get, find that comical when people are like, oh yeah, you, I'm like, guys, I've been, I was the first person to systemize a black belt construct, to put together a black belt system where yoga and martial arts were synthesized and required for a person to advance within the system. We're still the only system that has, that if you wanna be a black belt, 
Budokan, you have to become, you, you have to be a legitimate jujitsu black belt. You have to be a legitimate yoga teacher, a legitimate mobility coach. All the systems that we, all the, all the curriculum that we educate our students in to be a black belt in our system, you have to achieve proficiency in all of those systems to inevitably be a black belt in our system. Nothing else exists like that. And that's why some people find us and are like, I'm home. This is what I want to do. I don't really want to put my entire energy, my entire body of energy into just jujitsu. I don't want to put all, or all my energy into just, uh, you know, conditioning and movement or yoga. I actually want to make my experience an integration of all the above, but I don't want to compromise my, the, the integrity of each language that I'm learning to speak. I don't want to be half-ass at speaking the language of yoga or half-ass at speaking the language of jujitsu. So it then falls on me and our institute to educate people fully and completely at the highest level in each of these languages. So that's sort of the burden that we take on, which is that if you want to achieve this, you're going to be, you're going to be the measure of, of the standard in our organization is not going to be like our black belt is not the, our, our black belt is not the equivalent of a purple belt in jujitsu. Our black belt is a jujitsu black belt. Right. Our, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you, so you, so you don't like take it and like, Oh, let's move everything down to rungs. It's like, no, no, no. The rungs stay in the same place. We just have, multiple things that are happening under one umbrella. Correct. And that's the, that's the perfect basic way to understand it. We have five, we have five languages. You will be fluent in all of them. You will not half-ass, you know, one or two of those languages where you're, where you sort of can carry on a conversation. Yeah. You will be fluent. And there are people who are fluent in 10 languages. Mm -hmm. But in our system, you know, this particular, these languages, you will be fluent in them because, you know, and again, what does it mean? Nothing. Does it mean Budokan is the, you know, is, the, is anything special? No, not at all. It's just another path. Yeah. But so, so if you ask, you know, or do you think this is more relevant than, you know, karate or more relevant than jujitsu? No, I think it's a, it's a way if I'm going to, if I'm interested in jujitsu, it might be that the Budokan system is a more interesting way for me to pursue that path than say a, you know, straightforward competition jujitsu uh, lineage or style uh, or yoga. Same thing. I'm interested in yoga, but I may not be interested in pursuing a classic, uh, you know, Ashtanga style of yoga, you know, the Budokan style is more interesting to me because I'd love to be a proficient yoga practitioner and at the same time also be a proficient combat athlete. So it really appeals to a certain person. As, as an educator of this system, um, because this is something I know a lot of people are, are critical of just in like 
schools in general, and it's probably something that you agree on as well. The idea that like we we divide everything up. So like here's English class, here's science class, and there's yeah. here's math class, and there's no integration of the three when in real life all three of these things happen simultaneously yeah. so i'm curious okay. in the budokan system how the there's this this overlap it's a great question hold this thought hold okay okay i gotta let a dog in hold on <laughs> okay <laughs> it's freezing outside and i gotta let these guys all right all right sorry about that the 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 kids the kids over here the, the two children right here. Oh, man. <laughs> you guys were cold out there, huh? Yeah. You yeah they, don't, they, don't have much, they don't have much hair to keep them warm. God, these two monkeys. No. <laughs> Thank you for the pause. So that is, that is a really excellent question because I, – and I love when people that I'm having a conversation with because it, it happens so rarely. But I love when – a person is interested in the education process of something like this because you know people hear this and go, oh blah 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 and they just it's kind of talk about the superficial qualities that exist there's rarely this this curiosity about how you how you educate like that yeah. how does it work and i'm and and, and, and so the answer to that really fantastic question, which to me is the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. Like you asked, really what you asked me is what's the secret sauce mm -hmm. to your recipe? And to me, what it really is, and I, I think this is why even to this day, people have failed to do what we do because I've seen them attempt it. And then I'm going to use Ido Patel as a perfect example. You know, suddenly Ido Patel has a camp and oh, how interesting his camp's got jujitsu in it. It's got all oh, striking coaches. In it. Oh, it's got, you know, it's got a yoga teacher in it. I'm like, that looks familiar. I've been doing that for 20 years, but that model, which you see people have they've witnessed uh, my model over the course of 20 years of putting together these different movement arts that that in one for, for for the novice might seem contradictory to one another the real craft here is in finding where these arts intersect and cross over one another complementing each other's as you said meta principles and that's what you teach from. You mm. teach from where they relate and you focus your system on those relationship points and then you build the matrix on it. Mm. It's, it has to be, Budokan works because when you come here to get educated, you don't feel like, oh, now we're doing jujitsu, now we're doing yoga, now we're doing mobility, no it all transitions seamlessly from one to the other because they, there is actually more commonality than there is contradiction. There's more congruency than contradiction. And so what, what you, a perfect example, and I'm just gonna give you a really basic way of understanding this. Take a squat 
I can talk about a squat from a yogic perspective, a mobility perspective, a jujitsu perspective, a strength training calisthenics perspective, a striking perspective. And I can take the, I can just put a person in a squat across all five of those languages and explain why this squat is the exact same squat simply being applied five different ways. The same way that I would take a word like uh, complication and have you pronounce it in five different languages. Complication, complication, complication. Like the Portuguese doesn't matter which language, but the word complication is the complication is a root word, Latin root word that is then basically <laughs> pronounced in slightly different ways in numerous languages, but everybody recognizes the word in all languages if, it is the, if it's a Latin-based language. It's your job to make sure that student can hear the subtle distinctions of pronunciation, but still, what does the student understand? The meaning of the word complication. It doesn't matter which language it's pronounced in, it still means the same thing in every language. So the squat means the same thing in every language. It's just a subtle pronunciation distinction. And that's what's crucial about our system is that I've been, I've been refining that for two decades. Not for, not for any other reason than that's just my work. It's what I love to do. It's what I'm interested in. And it's, you know, it's, it's just my craft. Right. And it's, it's, the not, way, and, it's, and it's the way you practice as well. So it's like, well, exactly. It's, right, it's, it's, how, it's already in your brain in that way. hundred percent. And so when people come to study with me, what happens is they, they, you know, their, their mind just opens up to a, the, the way they see their their uh, vantage point becomes much wider in the way they look at movement. So I can take a person who's practicing jujitsu and I can get them to understand the squat in their craft and language, but then I can get them to understand the squat and all these other places. And suddenly I'm able to accelerate their learning process. Uh, and so that they're much more, they're just, they're adapting at a rapid rate to different languages or conditions or movement expressions because they're understanding, as you used the term earlier, the meta data, the, the core principles, which are really what it's about. It's not about the technique. It doesn't matter if this is 
how you quote unquote, you know, uh, do an arm bar or it's how you quote unquote do a, uh, you know, some type of, of uh, a, a makaku. It doesn't matter because if you don't understand the squat, your makaku is going to suck anyway. Well, and also it's like, if you're not, if, if you lack creativity, you're going to get to all those things in pretty shitty ways, or you may not even get to them at all because you don't have any strategizing or routes to get to those places. Right. Yeah. I, I, I had a jujitsu teacher who was like, you know, when I started, I was a white belt and he's like, I just want you to practice holding people down. He's like, don't even try to sub anybody. Just hold the, if you can hold someone down for two or three minutes, that, that should be what you're working on. Learn what that is. We don't even need to talk about it. Just learn about that. He's like, I can teach you the subs later. Right. He's like, learn that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What, what, like, you know, how are, you know, how are you, can you, can you wrap your head around the why? Because mm -hmm. what he gave you was an opportunity to investigate the why. Why am I doing this? Well, yeah. you're trying to hold this person down. That's why. Yeah. You know, yeah. now you're not doing it very well. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, so here's a few, here's a few tricks right. to doing it better. And, 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 by, or, or, you know what, you're doing pretty damn good with holding people down, not knowing what you're doing, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and so, I mean, that's the beauty of, of, uh, you know, of, of giving people, as you said, uh, mm -hmm. a place to play with the why. Yeah. Yeah. Find that, find that, that, the, the things that don't necessarily have the words. It's like, you have, like you say, you have that, the base and then filling in with like, then you fill in that, some of that creativity and then you have ways to get to those places. You know, I did this great mm -hmm. workshop over the weekend or last two weekends online with Tom Wexler, who I think, you know, uh, um, yes, I do know Tom. Well, I don't, I don't know Tom personally, mm -hmm. but uh, we had a, a couple mutual students. Mm -hmm. And so we were got connected through Instagram yeah. and uh, I definitely have a great um, appreciation Mm -hmm. for the way Tom moves. Uh, I think he's a really, you know, he's really lovely, lovely mover. Beautiful, beautiful work. Yeah. And the, and the, the whole, the whole workshop was about creativity and create, you know, developing an understanding of creativity through motion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could almost take all the work back to this similar concepts of like things like just hold somebody down, you know, learn that stuff that can't be, that can't be taught. And then, as you said, there's like the, the, the meta tools or the meta skills that can like move across all the places, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I feel like the creativity is often a thing that's, uh, that's neglected, you know, and, and I think that that's cool where you're like, all of these systems interact with one another. And then there's like looking for like, well, how, how do we move between them? Like how, how do we ride the wave from jujitsu to yoga? Or how do we ride the wave from here? You know, that those tracks are really interesting places to explore. Yeah, I mean, I, I do the same thing with snowboarding. You know, I'm up here snowboarding, as we talked about earlier, skiing and snowboarding. It's like, I'm just on the board looking at how does this, how does being on my board relate to my fight? Mm -hmm. You know, my knees are bent, I'm in a squat. I'm, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's just that, <laughs> it's like, how am I using this moment? Mm -hmm. to, to, you know, to 
execute what I already know. It's like, I don't, I don't need to learn anything new. I simply need to apply what I know to what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think that that's what's crucial about reaching certain levels. You know, when you, when you, when you get someone who's an athlete, there's nothing new for them to learn. Mm-hmm. There's just app, there's just reapplication of fundamentals. Yeah. How do you apply this there? Yeah. Now you might run into a small place here and there, a, a gap where there's a genuine um, lack of understanding, which you can then fill in pretty quickly with mm-hmm. with an athlete. But um, you get somebody like who's practiced only yoga, as that's how they were introduced to physical movement. They have massive gaps mm-hmm. athletically. They, they don't understand anything about speed, rhythm, timing, agility. They, they, they have no proprioception. Everything is basically static positioning. It's just, it might as well be sitting, holding things, you know, because that's what it, that's the ultimate, that's ultimately what's occurring. And I, I mean, and I speak as a yoga teacher, as a yoga practitioner, that, that I, I, this isn't something I'm being, I'm not being critical for the sake of being critical. This is the reality of, of what yoga fails to do, not because it's trying to do something else, but if you try to make athletes through yoga, you will fail. Yoga can complement an athlete, but you don't make athletes through it. Yeah. I can make an athlete through martial arts, because it's an it's in in it's it embodies all that athletics is, but asana practice does not do that. Right. Well, and that I think that's where people who are kind of tiptoeing around the fitness world can get confused. A lot of people get confused, and a lot of people out there, you know, are as we said before, are you know, parking their cars on you know, all these different constructs and concepts and saying, well, this makes me feel good. So this is where I'm going to stop. And then, you know, I get these people who come to me to try to figure out how to fix their bodies, you know, their knee, this, their shoulder, that, because when you don't understand complete movement, you only understand, you know, these, these specific uh, concepts you you oftentimes overdevelop something, underdevelop something, overuse something, underuse something. There's just there's not a complete. Um, it'd be like you know, there's no better car than than a race car. If 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 you've got to measure like you know because it can do everything. It can get me from here to there. It can do anything I need it to do at high speed, low speed, everything. Then you take something like, uh, you know, a Cadillac, <laughs> you know, and it's, you know, which is to say a luxury car. It has limitations because it wasn't built, but to do one thing specifically, which is in a luxurious way, get this person from here to there. Whereas the sports car already does the getting you from here to there. And also Mm -hmm. it can get you here to there under pretty much all conditions. 
Right. Yeah. When also in, in, in the fitness world, when you extract randomness and chaos, then you're just kind of like feeding the, I don't know, the knowledge wheel and you're not necessarily giving enough uh, nutrients That's, to the, to the yeah. intelligence wheel. I, I kind of separate the two knowledge is like the thing I feel like I can talk about, like the, the, right. the things that we can learn or the movements that have names. The intelligence is that thing that comes from like, you know, falling or like being in, well, in new situations, chaos. Creative, the yes. creative. I think you said it best when you said, that's the creative conversation. Yes. I can't be creative if I'm talking about information. Yeah, yes. Right, to be creative, I have to be going to places I've never been. And I have mm -hmm. to be experiencing things that are in, in, the, in the realm of unknown because that's where, they're, that's where discoveries are made. If we wanna talk about what we already know, we're just talking about information now. Yeah. You know, but that's not creativity. Creativity would be in essence, um, the ability for a person from a movement perspective, the ability for a person to be improvisational and, you know, and, and unpredictable, as I think you said, a moment ago. Uh, and so I, I think that's crucial. Creativ creativity and unpredictability, I think we have to work in tandem because it, like a jazz musician, to be improvisational is to not know what note I'm going to play next. Mm -hmm. It's to just, it, it just, it, it makes, I happen to be over here. So that's what comes up. And now, oh, now I'm over here and that's what comes up. You know, and, and the, the greatest, um, jazz musicians like Coltrane, who went real, and, and Alice Coltrane, his wife, who went really deep into improvisational work, to, like completely experimental, just bizarre, crazy shit that people just literally don't want to listen to because it's not, in a way, even appealing to the ear it, because it's too, it's too random. Yeah. It's, it's, you know what I mean? It's not a constructed song. Yeah. It doesn't have a return to anything. It just goes. Yeah. And, and, you know. I, I, re I read a book recently called Free Play. Um, and it's about creativity and improvisation. And it said something that just kind of like left me, left me reflecting. And like, I mean, I have a lot of improvisation in my practice, but like, I realized that especially again, like we're coming to like fitness world or, or people who just do things like yoga or just whatever. And they've kind of isolated it down. It's like, you know, we want our, our practice to reflect our life, right? Like it, because they, they, they go together, they're one and the same. And that's really why we're practicing. So like be able to walk out and, and be the warrior or the peacemaker, as you said. And like, those are the things we we're training for. Well, when we're in our life, every moment is an improvised moment one after another. Like this entire conversation we're having is totally improvised. Mm -hmm. And when we kind of extract that piece and almost pretend like, oh, well, that's for some other time, I, I question, I'm like, oh, well, well, what are we doing then? If we, if we don't have that, if we don't have that feeling of, um, of not knowing in our practice in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's scripted, there's scripted reality versus improvisational. And they are, they are different and they do appeal to us in different ways. Mm -hmm. We do, we do like reality TV mm -hmm. in its own way. We like watching um, 
something unfold in front of us. And we also like watching something polished and something intentional. And, and there's this, again, there's the difference between competition and performance. They, they, they have very different qualities, but yet they're both appealing to the, to conscious, to the, you know, human consciousness. So it's because again, we love not knowing as much as we also love knowing yeah. <laughs> you know, there's this, where there's a dichotomy there, mm-hmm. but it, it is, it is this thing that we have to embrace that we, we, because there's, because there's duality at, in, in all real, in all of consciousness, all reality there, we, we have to be more skillful and humans just aren't, we really aren't very proficient at it, which is, which is managing duality. We tend to fall on the side of, you know, absolute or relative. We don't do a great job of being uh, balancing both positions. You know, and and what I mean by that is, you know, um, what I'm going to do right now, uh, I'm going to walk up to you and I'm going to slap you. And in a relative way, that has an effect on your life. And in an absolute way, it it means nothing. It's just all what you make it mean relative to your the moment, to your to your memory, to your consciousness. But in an absolute way, it means fucking nothing. You know, but we don't dance well between those two positions. We things become very the relative nature of of life for us becomes so so real so so firm that we will murder each other over it and or the absolute nature of life becomes so um you know so important I don't know if it's if, if, if it's important I, I, the right word is so maybe so habitual we get so so in the habit of seeing things as absolute that we don't see the relative impact of our behavior either <laughs> like everything's okay everything's okay well no not always you know is everything might be okay for you but there's possibly an impact you're having you have to consider that that you know you because there are people who just have that attitude of oh it's all good everything's all good it's like are you sh- real well y- are you sure you know? right well they they th- like what you're saying is, i think is that like someone thinks that their relative reality is a reflection of the absolute reality so if they're like uh, i'm like i'm cool things are cool right? yeah yeah right uh, well yeah exactly <laughs> i mean <laughs> and 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 they're right at the end of the day, you know, if you're cool, everything is cool. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet there's another side of that. That's not true. That something may not be cool for another. And so people, you know, we just struggle with the, the, the line between w- walking a relative and an absolute uh, um, sort of cognitive state. And it's, it's very important as we're developing, we, we have to apply that, that understanding to our craft and movement is another craft uh, for us to apply that, that, that understanding 
which is, is this an absolute moment or a relative moment? Does this moment require me? To, how, do I, how do I understand this moment? Uh, is this a competition moment or is this a, 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 a cooperation moment? Is this, you know, is this moment about freedom and, uh, you know, just, just play? Or is this moment, is this a, a moment that's necessary to have a real goal here? and an intention, uh, something I, you know, I need to achieve something here or I'm playing to play. And you being able to uh, make that, that, I mean, that becomes life. Mm-hmm. It's the middle path. Well, in some, in some ways, again, it's almost like to bring it all the way back to almost where we started. It almost feels like the things that we wouldn't even have to like reflect on or talk about if we were more participatory in nature if we were more participatory in the world like these things would just come naturally it's because of like a little bit of that sanitization that forces us have to have to be like to have to deal with these or reconcile with them or or, or have yeah. questions about them a little bit exactly it's good the distinction is between intelligence intuition and instinct mm-hmm. because what happens for a human being is that our intelligence is how we practice reason and logic it's it's, you know intelligence in a way is the it's the way you play a game of chess Mm -hmm. how did you learn to look at the board and the players and to predict all the possibilities of angles of attack like you know you move the pawn here did you consider all possible outcomes that's application of intelligence my intuition is developed by practicing the game. Mm -hmm. I start to develop a certain intuition that mm, something doesn't feel right about the way you just moved. Why would you make that decision? That doesn't make any sense. That's too quick, too reckless, too out of character for your game for you to do that. My intuition tells me my spidey sense is tingling. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's my intuition. And then you get to your instinct, which is something completely primitive. It's is a something that comes up in you that is almost, I mean, it, 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 we're talking biology, we're talking genetics, instinct, the, the, this fight or flight response, mm-hmm. something that just comes up in me that says, I'm safe or I'm not safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but intuition is not instinct and in t- instinct is not intelligence. These are different faculties. You're using them in different ways. And it's important for a person to develop their understanding of, is, you know, I mean, I have to develop my intelligence, mm-hmm. which is the practice of applying my logic and my reason. Right. And that's the layer that a lot of people want to stop at. Done. <laughs> it's like, okay, I've practiced this. Yeah. I don't need to develop intuition, <laughs> which is developed purely from time put in. Right. Experience, experience, practice, like that's it. being that's out where there. That's yeah. you get intuition. Right. And then 
instinct is basically your ability to listen to to something you have literally no control over. Yeah. So it would almost be like you learn how to like mm, like your your the instincts that are always there start to kind of reframe based on the other two. But they're the instincts kind of stay the same but they start to like adjust to like that new information that they have. Yeah, because danger's danger. Right. Right. You know, I, I don't care if I'm competent within the danger. I don't care if I can, I got a gun on me and I'm a killer and I can, I can handle myself inside the danger. I still sense the danger. Right. 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 Okay. But intuition is, is that person dangerous? Mm-hmm. Did they do something that's concerning? That's developed, as you would say, through education. Mm-hmm. And then how, what am I going to do about it? That's an application of my intelligence. Right. And what, what is familiar and unfamiliar about this situation? Right. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and so humans, humans are just basically, um, we don't know how much we don't know. Which is tragic because we're, because we're learning machines. I read a Feldenkrais book and it was like, we're, we're born with so little, like unlike other mammals, like, you know, like there are mammals that can are born and they can start walking the day that they're born because they already know it. We have to learn to walk. It's like, he, I, some scientists might correct me here, but I read the book and it was like, from his understanding, it was like, we will not learn to walk unless we're around other people walking. We, we will watch and learn them in like mere neurons or whatever, but we have no, to learn. No. Yeah, Moshe Feldenkrais was was a brilliant uh, teacher yeah. and understood from the scientific perspective that you're absolutely that that is exactly how we how we function. Right. We so it, function. Yeah. So it's a tra- it's a tragedy if people, you know, don't come to that realization. Like, oh, like I should the 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 learning should continue in all the ways. Yeah. And not well, just and then, the knowledge learning, but as you're kind of talking about, like the intelligence and the intuition learning, like layers, keep all yeah. the learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's he was brilliant with understanding and and expressing the the simplicity of something that is incredibly complex. As and and to his point, you know, human beings, you know, when people say to me that humans, you know, they're they're indigo children and humans are born with this, this, you know, children are, children are so deep and, 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 and knowledgeable and, and, and so wise. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. That's absolutely inaccurate. Humans are as stupid as the day is long. We don't know anything. We know nothing. We'll pick a piece of shit off the ground and put it in our mouth. We have no understanding of anything. That's all, as you said, gathered through mistake making. Right. We learn everything. Right. And that's our magic. Uh, yes, it is our magic. It's all, and our, also our magic is that we have the ability to be in first, second, and third person. That's hmm. another powerful tool of consciousness or cognition that humans developed over the course of time was the ability to break the veil of first person. That, that, that there is a me, there is a he, a she, a they, a them, a we, uh, uh, my ability to see myself in the now, 
in the what was and in the what could be. My imagination, that my memory that can house uh, my, my, my what was and that they can then juxtaposition with what is and then they can then imagine what could be. This is a very powerful tool of cognition by humans. So it allows us to understand things in a way that other animals just simply don't because we have the ability to, again, um, contemplate th all three positions. I mean, well, actually not all three. You can't contemplate the now. You can only contemplate the what could be or the what was. So right. you can contemplate two positions from one position. Right. What was the now and what will be the now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. but we can be quote unquote in three places. Mm -hmm. What was, what is, what could be. Right. And that, and that's basically coming to like the idea that our like imaginative reality is as powerful as reality, reality, because that helps no us like, do these things. Yeah. Yeah. There's no difference. No, certainly not for, not for the brain, you know, mm -hmm. and, and which is basically us. There's no real us outside of cognition. You know, the brain dies. I mean, I argue this. Some people will argue some, you know, religious or spiritual uh, folks might argue that there's an us inside an us. But for me, there is only the, uh, the uh, brain and the body and, and the, 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 you know, the integration of the two and that we are basically animated matter. And once that matter uh, comes to stillness, uh, and it no longer is animated. Uh, there's no, there's no place that it carries on uh, in terms of consciousness. Our consciousness is temporary, and right. then, but our, but the energy that creates consciousness is, is of course infinite and permanent. And it, 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 you know, that so energy doesn't stop; it continues on somewhere else. But to suggest that that energy carries on with our personal preferences, like I like broccoli, and I remember my mom kissing me when I was five. You know what I mean? That that idea that there's consciousness carries on memory, mm -hmm. even after the brain dies. I reject that idea. But right. that's a whole different. <laughs> that's right. a whole another story. But this is part of what we teach. When people yeah. come to work with me, I teach this material. The first thing I try to do when people come to learn with me is just completely destroy everything they believe. Well, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time because now I'm 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 realizing after this conversation, I have to take a trip to Montana and we have to like we have to sit down oh. and like continue chatting. That's what I'm realizing. But <laughs> <laughs> I not too long ago re uh, read for the first time, and I realize these are things that need to be read multiple times, but I read uh, the Upanishads and Tom mm -hmm. Wexler actually suggested I read it, but I also read the Yoga Sutras. Mm -hmm. And and it's kind of a lot of the things that you're describing here. We're talking about like the self and, and, and things like that. And I realized I was like, oh, this is what, this is what, this is what I'm teaching. Like I'm learning, I'm, I don't know anything about this, but this is really what's happening. Like mm -hmm. this is this is at the root of like what's going on in this education, this practice, whatever it is. This is this is where it's at. Um, well, there yeah, there have been there have been thinkers, 
humans who have been thinking about, contemplating, discussing, and, and and putting pen to paper these ideas for as long as humans could communicate. So there's really nothing new we can discuss. We can only discuss what's been discussed, what's been thought, what's been said, what's been chewed, you know, on, you know, by, by you know, millions and millions of, of homo sapiens over the course of our existence, which is who am I, what am I, why am I? This is the ultimate three questions. You know, the, 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 those three questions. Ne- those are the meta questions. If you want to play that game, who am I? What am I? Why am I? And and once those three questions become a focal point for a student, then then you know everything else loses meaning. There's only who am I, and what am I, and why am I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that that that. You know, the Upanishads, uh, the, the, the Yoga Sutras, Patanjali's work, um, these, this is, again, one body, uh, you know, all, there, there are so many different um, variations and, 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 and bodies of investigative work done by humans that have been uh, you know, historic, have been historically um, um, sort of uh, passed down and, and, and collected and kept in, in they're all different and they all, but they all have some through lines and some, you know, some, some uh, places that they of course intersect, which is important that, that we, you know, you sort of start picking up what were these, what were these big aha moments for sort of all, all great contemplators, Confucius, uh, you know, from a from a Eastern perspective, all the way to you know a Greek perspective and a Western perspective with uh, Socrates, you, and and that is that you know reality is made up. It's just something that we create. It's a product of cognition. It's completely subjective, and everything that we believe uh, is 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 an interpretation and nothing you know ultimately lasts but humans have created gods and 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 tried to explain why but what it all comes down to is that nothing nothing ultimately means anything it's all simply uh a a you know a, a an exercise of futility at the end of the day, the same exercise that is occurring out in front of me right now in my yard where, you know, a tree is born and, uh, you know, sprouts from the earth and it gets eaten by a deer and it dies. It's just, it's just shitting out. It's just nature eating and shitting itself out over and over again. That's all we are. Mm -hmm. It's just this fucking process of of eat and digest and shit and eat and digest and shit. And that's all that's fucking occurring 
throughout the entire universe, which is so fascinating because we think of everything around us as being so important right. and so relevant, especially us. We just yeah. think we're so relevant. And, and you know, what I, what even, but, but didn't you get in, you have to be really careful when you look at this kind of material because all of this material gets reinterpreted by humans and it then it starts to be confusing. You're like, is that a religious statement when this was referring to what yoga is or what God is or what, because all these terms mm -hmm. begin to further sort of confuse and become interpretations within themselves. Right. And, and so, well, this is what he meant by saying God, or this is what he meant by saying self. So you have to be, all I'm, I have this very nihilistic or, or sort of negated approach. Everything for me is about negation at the end of the day. You know, what am I if I'm not my body? What am I if I'm not my thoughts? What if I'm, I'm not my brain? What am I if I'm not my memories? What am I if I'm, what am I if all things go away? Then all that's left is empty space. There's nothing. So at the end of the day, everything is just a temporary construction. And that, that then just gets destroyed again and rebuilt again and destroyed again. So you can't take your life too seriously, even though it's a very serious thing. I think, I think, I think I do something similar, but rather than like negation or like removal of like, what am I if I think I do the thing rather I kind of start micro like on myself and then I keep going a little more macro and it's like, okay, outside the house, what, like, what, what, what do I look like there? Like, as I keep going further and further and further and further out. And I think it kind of takes us into a similar place where it's just like, you get into the farthest reaches and it's just like, well, like I I'm not even really there. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You, you can, yeah, you can, obviously you can go in either direction. It's just difficult for people. Sometimes when the ego is expansive to the point where it feels it is, it is, I mean, and, and this, uh, uh, a great Sufi master, Hazrat Inyat Khan said this, he said, it's not that humans have, the, the ego is too great, the ego is too small. We don't see our, we don't actually recognize our importance. And he was playing from the direction you're talking about, which is seeing that I am all that is, mm -hmm. and yet all that is, is nothing that, that that's sort of the again the absolute and the relative dancing together yeah. it's it's it, no matter where you end up going in if you go from negation downward you really reach nothingness and if you go upward you still reach nothingness because at the end of the day <laughs> expansiveness becomes nothingness right ultimately it just becomes space yeah. So, man, yeah. Man, I, like I said, I feel like a, a trip to Montana is going to have to happen here at some point. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I, I feel like we, we, we have more to talk about around uh, a, a fire that we're both sitting at. Sounds good, buddy. You know how to find me. I'm not far away. 
Yeah, man. What um, if people, I, I saw that you have like a couple retreats and stuff. I want to make sure um, you can put them out there so that if people are interested, they can, they can look into that information and whatever's happening online as well. Yeah. I mean, anytime anybody wants to get hold of us, it's very easy. Um, Instagram is just me, Cameron Shane, and then Budokan, you can find budokan.com, which has all of our, uh, our, we call them experiences. You know, if you want to come have a, a, a you know, jujitsu snowboard experience, or you want to come have a mobility, this, whatever experience um, we have those and uh, all summer long camps, winter camps here at our, at our big sky. Um, basically it's, it's basically a retreat um, space. Um, so easy to find us, easy to check it out. Uh, and you know, you know, if, if people find themselves here, they find themselves here. I, I don't do, you know, I don't, I don't get out there and, and hyper um, uh, market anything because I just feel like, you know, word of mouth is our best. Uh, it's our best. Um, uh, it's our best tool because people who come and experience what we do have a sincere way of sharing it. And that's what gets people to, 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 you know, get, that's what gets them here. And, and that's what helps them find this, find uh, whether or not we're a good match for them. It's a relationship, you know, and, and, and some people come here and they're like, all right, I'm marrying you. And some people are like, all right, this was a fun weekend. You know, um, we were lovers. Great. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. see you again sometime in life. You know, I, I'm not every, I'm not everybody's teacher. So, you know, when someone finds me, they're going to, they're going to know if they found their teacher and, yeah. and they're going to know if they, if they haven't and that's perfect. So if people want to find us, I would love it. And anytime you want to come uh, more than welcome, my friend, and you know, let's just look forward to a future, some future campfire philosophy, man. I can't tell you how much I look forward to it. This was a, a this was more than a pleasure. I, uh, yeah. This is awesome, man. Have a great afternoon. Yeah, great and uh, dude, we'll be in touch in the in the near future. Great, Kyle. I appreciate you, brother. And I really just want to say thank you so much for asking me to be a part of your show, uh, your your you know, your podcast and and uh, to uh, share me with people. That was very kind of you. You're very intelligent. I really appreciate and enjoyed your the way that you listened and and in your questions and it just speaks highly of the kind of person that you've become. So congratulations on being a really fine human being. Man, that means so much. And it means, uh, it means even more coming from you after this conversation we just had. Right on my friend. All right, All man, right I'll, I'll see you soon. Okay. See you soon, brother. Bye. Take care.